If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to internet radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern day fundraising success, and practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders, also a successful author. His books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. Guests on the Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on Radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome back here to The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, We've got a terrific show for you uh, planned today. And wow, I just wanted to comment on last week's show. If you were not joining us and have not had a chance to uh, listen to uh, Dr. Stephen Meyer's uh, show last week on personalized uh, philanthropy, uh, we've gotten more comments on that show than any show that we've recently done. Uh, And I just really felt that, uh, you know, that that was really in tune with a, a lot of content that uh, our listeners can use, uh, as is today's show. Uh, So hang tight for the page two expert today. Uh, We have uh, Rob Mitchell back here with us, and I know you're tuning in today uh, because you want the data that is available from the Atlas of Giving and to help you plan the rest of this year and going forward. As the announcer mentioned, you can call in and ask questions uh, for the show, um, and that number is 347-324-3080. You also can uh, join us in the chat room. I see some folks in the chat room. You can ask questions there if you would like. Uh, but you can also email us uh, at tedhart at tedhart.com uh, if you prefer to ask your questions via email. As always here on The Nonprofit Coach, we start with page one news. And here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach today, um, I'm really honored to have a representative uh, from Wiley uh, here with us. It's great always to have 
the uh, uh, AFP Wiley radio show here on the Nonprofit Coach. That begins again next week, and it's my pleasure to Matt to welcome Matt Davis here to the Nonprofit Coach. Matt, thank you for joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach. Great to have this partnership with uh, Wiley. You've got some uh, updates for us, and you're going to preview next week's Nonprofit Coach radio show. Take it away, Matt. Sure, I'm happy to. Well, first of all, thank you, Ted, for inviting me on the show to introduce the latest title in the AFP uh, Wiley Fund Development Series. Um, I'm relatively new to the nonprofit field, and I've got an opportunity to listen to several past broadcasts. It's a, it's a really great show, so I'm happy to do this. Um, oh, well, thank you. So we, Kathy- we appreciate that as well. Um, so, Kathy Kingston, I met Kathy over the phone when this book was just about to go into production, and I uh, quickly recognize that uh, she's not only a smart and successful expert in transforming uh, special event fundraising with auctions, uh, she has an unrivaled passion to help organizations run money. And she's done just that. She's helped thousands of nonprofits raise millions of dollars across the country for amazing causes. Uh, Kathy has been involved in professional fundraising auctions for nearly three decades as a consultant, speaker, strategist, and auctioneer, and she regularly conducts benefit auction seminars and workshops for nonprofit and educational organizations around the world. She is also founder and principal of Kingston Auction Company and the creator of the philanthropy model of fundraising auction, which sets at the very center of her new book, A Higher Bid. In A Higher Bid, she shares her proven approaches to audience development, board empowerment, uh, leadership succession, guest cultivation and engagement, and donor development. But, Ted, what I'm most excited about this book is it offers a fresh approach to fundraising. It shows readers how uh, charities benefit, uh, charity benefit auctions can, make, uh, can be made the centerpiece of a fundraising event to drive both short- and long-term fundraising goals while providing fun and inspiring opportunities to generate awareness and keep supporters excited about the mission. Uh, as she makes clear, it turns out fundraising auctions are not about selling exotic trips and fancy dinners. It's about communicating the impact of a donor's gift for a cause they believe in and love. It's about engaging supporters to become dedicated donors now and in the future. Uh, as Kathy points out in the book, more than $18 billion are raised annually at charity events. But the truth is, is that organizations can strategically raise billions more each year with a new approach that focuses first and foremost on connecting people to a cause. When designed and conducted strategically, benefit auctions are one of the most powerful ways to raise significantly more charitable dollars and to be a powerful catalyst for donors to make a long-term impact for causes that impassion them. Uh, what I love about the book is that, she, uh, as she's done throughout her career, uh, Kathy helped us think more clearly about ways to have the greatest impact we can have on making a difference in our community. Uh, in short, as one reviewer distinctly put it, if you have ever participated in a badly organized, underwhelming fundraising event, and let's face it, who hasn't, you'll need to read this book. Uh, anyway, Kathy has been a joy to work with on a higher bid, and I'm delighted, Ted, that you've chosen this book to discuss with your listeners. Uh, thanks again for the opportunity to be on your show. And just so you know, we have several more great nonprofit titles coming out over the next few months, and uh, I think your audience might like, and I hope you'll invite us back. Well, absolutely, and it, it's great to uh, have you uh, in the family here, Matt. I know our, our producer, uh, Diane Peach, has uh, told me how much she really appreciates working with you and, and how we are you know, working to try to find the space in our very tight schedule uh, to get these, uh, uh, these titles in here on the show. Uh, the content is always very relevant. I, ha- I literally have Kathy Kingston's book in my hand right now. Um, this is really a terrific book. I, I have to say I don't remember the last time that I saw so 
so many endorsements for a book in the front of this book uh, than I do in, in the, the front pages of this book. So that, that really says something. Uh, but I, a couple of uh, points I want to make about this book for those uh, who are grabbing in their calendar right now and making sure that they uh, circle in red to make sure they join us uh, next week here on the Nonprofit Coach at 12 noon Eastern, uh, is that um, this book is certainly uh, – this that this show is a, a must-listen uh, if you have ever done or are planning to do uh, a special event uh, auction. But there's more to this book as well. And so for those of you who say, well, auctions aren't really for me or I haven't done it or I'm not planning on doing it, you still want to tune into next week's show because Kathy's insight into the psyche of donors um, is extremely important. And, and I think a lot of her tips here are really relevant beyond sort of the special event auction uh, in really helping uh, both seasoned and junior uh, fundraisers do a better job. So I think there's a, there's a lot here uh, for people to want to tune in next week. And uh, Matt Davis, thank you for joining us from Wiley. Thank you for publishing this book and bringing it to us. We look forward to having Kathy Kingston as our guest next week. My pleasure, Ted. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Um, so we uh, are obviously uh, wanted to give a little bit more time to uh, introing this very important book. So we appreciate Wiley uh, bringing that to us and for the partnership on the AFP Wiley show, which will be next week. So we're going to rush right over now to uh, our page two expert today because we need to make sure that we've got lots of time because we've got lots of data to share with you. Hang tight. We'll be right back. Rob Mitchell is a familiar expert here on the Nonprofit Coach. He has been with us several times before, always is one of the top-rated guests here on the Nonprofit Coach because of his own personal expertise and because of the data that he brings to us. He's one of the most successful and experienced fundraising professionals and nonprofit executives in the United States. He has spent three decades as a working fundraiser, nonprofit leader, and innovator. He's also an expert in the mechanics of the charitable giving economy uh, in the U.S. If you didn't already know that, he will prove it to you today. Rob has participated in the entire spectrum of modern fundraising, from a single-person fund development office to leading a nationwide fundraising program for American Cancer Society as its first-ever chief development officer. Rob has experienced and managed all aspects of fund development, including e-giving, events, direct response, plan giving, major gifts. This guy has done it all. His career is highlighted with a number of remarkable achievements. He oversaw the growth of charitable giving in the American Cancer Society from $600 million to more than $1 billion in just five years. Uh, and I think uh, a crowning achievement is he's currently CEO of the Atlas of Giving, a Dallas-based business uh, committed to dramatically improving nonprofit effectiveness and efficiency with a timely benchmark at charitable giving and the only reliable forecast of charitable giving in the United States. I think I think that's an important difference here because I'm often asked uh, because we have such a you know, strong relationship uh, with uh, the Giving USA report, which is just that it is a report. It's important for us to be able to look back and document and be able to look at trends. I think the complement to that is the Atlas of Giving, which now gives us the ability. Uh, to look into the future, to predict the future, 
Um, it's not always exact, as Rob will share with you. Uh, but those of us who are in leadership positions, those of you who are looking at year-end and planning your budgets for next year, need to have the kinds of data and benchmarks to be able to reliably make it informed decisions rather than just sort of drawing at straws or putting your finger uh, to the wind. Uh, so it's my pleasure to welcome back here to the nonprofit coach, Rob Mitchell. Ted, it's great to be with you again. Well, you always uh, bring us such important information, and I know you're extremely busy, so uh, I really appreciate uh, you working diligently with our producer, Diane Peach, uh, to make sure that we do have you here regularly, because uh, I really think that our listeners are growing to be uh, dependent on wanting to know that you're going to be back so that we have this kind of insight, we have the kind of forecasting that you're able to do. Um, but undoubtedly, we have some folks who are new here. So why don't we start off with what is the Atlas of Giving? The, the Atlas of Giving, and you've you've already mentioned part of it, is the only monthly forecast and estimate of charitable giving in the United States by sector, so health, education, religion, et cetera, source, individuals, foundations, corporations, and bequest, and uh, all 50 states and D.C. Um, what the Atlas uh, is is a series of 65 algorithms that we've built uh, using a great team of expert of Ph.D.-level experts um, what we did was we examined what factors are involved in charitable giving. Um, so there are things like unemployment, GDP, um, uh, inflation, consumer confidence, etc. So we, we examined more than 75 different potential variables. We came up with the ones that uh, actually do impact charitable giving and their strengths. And so we've been able to build algorithms and continue to improve those algorithms since we came out in 2010. And uh, so what we're doing that is different from what others are doing is that, first of all, we're monthly. We have the only forecast, and it is a reliable forecast, um, of charitable giving. And uh, we're using 21st century technology while others are still using 1960s technology. And um, uh, it's, been a, it's been a great thing for me to work on. Um, the inspiration for the Atlas of Giving was that I was named Chief Development Officer f uh, for the American Cancer Society um, in June of 2001, a very memorable year for all of us. Yeah, so, and, and absolutely. Uh, our fiscal year started September 1, and then we had the effects of September 11th. Um, my CEO called me and said, what does this mean? And I said, John, I... <laughs> I really don't know, but it can't be good. What I don't know is how bad it's going to be and how long it's going to last, and I have no resource to go back and look at comparatively uh, to give you any data. What we now have is a database. The Atlas has a database of monthly giving going back 
uh, by sector source and state going back to 1968. So we've recreated giving the, what's happened in giving monthly since 68. Um, flash forward a year, and as a non-disaster charity after 9-11, we finished a bubble above flat, which we were really proud of. And um, going to our board's, uh, our board's compensation committee, uh, my CEO and I were touting the fact that we had done better than our peers. And um, one, one uh, astute uh, member of that compensation committee challenged me with the question, what are you using as a benchmark? And I said, well, there is, this was in November, there is no benchmark. There's no benchmark that I can use right now. Um, because the only benchmark that exists doesn't come out until the end of June. So that's not going to help us with the business we were conducting that day. Um, he later pulled me aside, and uh, we met together, and, and it, was, uh, it was him, John Beatty, who said, um, you know, I really think that charitable giving is tied to direct factors in the economy, demographics, and events. And if you could identify what those things are and how strong they are, you could build an accurate benchmark. He'd never mentioned a forecast at the time. But that's, uh, after I left the society in late 2009, that's exactly the, what we did. We started to uh, work to build the Atlas of Giving. We started with one algorithm, which, by the way, was for national giving. We used 42 years of published giving data and um, gave it to a team of 25 PhD, physis, um, a PhD analysts and statisticians. They came back and they. And th this is a company that works for um, Fortune 100 companies. Uh, one of their largest clients, for example, is Target. Uh, they work for Coca-Cola. They work for a lot of different companies that we've all heard of internationally. And they came back at the end of six weeks and they said, you know. This is truly remarkable. We've never had this happen before, but we've been able to not only identify what factors are involved in national giving and their strengths, but build an algorithm when we back check it um, back to 1968, uh, the results match at 90, over 99.5%. And so we knew we which had good something. News for, yeah, so w which was good news for... Uh, those of us who were in the industry that really had not been asking the right questions, had not been focused on what the data could mean, and certainly didn't have the expertise to run those kind of algorithms and to determine whether or not there is something here. Uh, and, in fact, there is. So you have been at this for several years. Your information is always very informative. Um, you have for us today, uh, as billed, a, a mid-year report, but you also have a little bit beyond that data uh, that looks a little bit further. And so uh, let's, let's go ahead and start with, you know, what, what is the update from the last time that we spoke, sort of looking forward to 2015? Uh, what were the predictions back then? How, how are those bearing up? And if things have changed, what's changed? Well, there's some great news. Um, from our initial um, a report in January, which was a, an estimate of giving for um, 2014 and our first forecast for 2015, um, 
we're doing remarkably better than we anticipated um, so far. And these are these numbers are through August of 2015. So from January through the end of August 2015, 318.53 billion dollars has been given, and that is an increase over the previous year for the same period of six and a half percent. So that's, um, and what's what's really cool about this to me is that um, every month since January has been better than the m- month from 2000, that same month in 2014. Uh, we got, we got awfully close in August to duplicating um, uh the same result we had last year, but it was still better in August um, in 2015 than it was in 2014. And the other thing that that changed dramatically, um, as you know, we publish, we update and publish um, every month. And in terms of a forecast, you know, it, it, like any forecast, the further out you go the less reliable the forecast is. So we have a remarkably sure. yeah, we've got a remarkably reliable forecast. Um but we were we were predicting a pretty bleak year for giving at the beginning of the year, but I'm happy to say that that uh so far that that forecast has also changed. So what we have what we're showing today is that for the calendar year, giving will finish at around $479 billion, which is up 5% from last year. That, that's that's a very strong strong finish. So um, what advice, uh, based on the data that you're seeing right now, do you have for fundraisers and executives who are listening today uh, who are you know here in October, we're in the final quarter of, uh, of the calendar uh, 2015, any uh, things that you would suggest that we tweak, that we take a look at and change and try to maximize the success that we can have uh, for the year-end campaign, which is for many nonprofits, we're talking about the most important three months. Sure. I, I think there there are a couple of things that for practitioners I would focus on. Um, it's important to remember, though, that um, year-end giving has largely become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Lots of, lots of right. organizations um, spend most of their fundraising promotion dollars in the last three or four months of the year. Um, Interestingly, in 2014, it didn't pay off well because uh, actually giving went down or the growth in giving went down during the the last quarter of the year. This year, we're showing a different forecast. Uh, It's showing that giving is going to grow in September, October, November, and December. Um, There there are two things that I would say – to a practitioner, or a, and I'm speaking to myself, uh, if I were still practicing, is one, do everything possible to reacquaint yourself with your individual donors. Um, 
since the recession, individual giving has taken a big hit, and especially for those organizations and churches that rely largely on lots of gifts from lots of donors. When you're unemployed, you fear become unemployed, or you're just recently re-employed, you suspend your giving. Um, Because the unemployment picture has changed so dramatically this year, it is time to spend time and money, all the resources that you can, getting uh, re-established with donors that maybe you lost during the recession, if you're an organization that focuses on those kinds of gifts. The the second uh, thing I would say to practitioners, and this is going to continue through uh, mid-2016 is to really bear down and focus on foundation grants. Foundations, um, the, the recession was really interesting because uh, we had high unemployment, we, we had, but we had a roaring stock market. So the portfolios of foundations and donor-advised funds really went up um, even when unemployment was low. So those kinds of organizations that rely on highly appreciated assets like colleges and universities did very well um, coming, out, coming out of the recession, very well. And So you're seeing, you, seeing a, an even greater increase in foundation giving uh, than you normally would expect, um, given yes, the data abs- you're looking at. Absolutely, because what happens is there's there's a time lag. So by by the time a foundation files their their IRS information, and as you know, they're Ted, they're required to give away five percent of their assets each year. But it's not fi- because of the way the timing works. There's as much as a two year lag. So. Um, all that great growth right, that happened mo- in most the foundations. Stock- just for our listeners, most foundations, while they have to give away five percent, it's not five percent for each year. Most foundations are going to take a look at a three-year rolling average or a five-year rolling average um, because they're, in many cases, making multiple-year grants. So what you're saying is, if I understand what what you're saying is the upside in the market is now going to start playing itself out in the foundation philanthropy world. Oh, we're already seeing it. It's uh, foundation. The growth in foundation giving in 2015 has been remarkable. Um, it's um, as I look at, uh, let me find my figure here for foundation giving foundation giving, um, uh, in 2014, accounted for 14% of all giving. We're projecting that foundation giving this year is going to account for 15% of all giving, and the growth in foundation giving has been has been um, 8.6% for 2015. So it's a it is a honey and, hole and do you see that this, every practitioner again, the, should. Yes, it's one of one of those hidden secrets that um, you really have to understand the data to be able to position yourself well for that. Um, But my guess is that the same dynamics that 
are starting this phenomenon to show up in your your data is likely to be uh, in those same data sets for at least the next couple of years. Well, because of what's happened in the market this year, we really think um, it, yes, it could. We're we're saying the peak is going to be mid 2016. It'll still be good for probably another year after that. Right, right, right. So now, so as you said, this is one of those strategic um, imperatives for professionals to be looking at is that if you have for any reason over the last couple of years pulled back from foundations because perhaps the assets weren't there or you, you were not finding success, there's more money on the table now. And for those, particularly those foundations that you've had a relationship with in, in the past, uh, this is a very important strategy. And the same thing would hold true with donor-advised funds. Um, right. it, it, it's harder to get information on who has a donor-advised fund, though we learned this week that Carly Fiorina has a donor-advised fund. Um, right, right. Um, well, and, it's, and of course, as you know, I'm CEO of uh, CAF America, um, which is a uh, donor-advised fund, international donor-advised fund. Uh, we've grown tremendously over the last uh, few years, and so certainly um, you know, what, what we have found in the donor-advised fund world is that this is a very convenient way for people to be able to be more thoughtful and strategic in their giving. Um, so one of the strategies that we suggest, and I think it, it, it couples in with your, your data here, is that good fundraisers should be asking – uh, their donors, if they have a donor advised fund, and should have strategies in place to be able to uh, expertly manage and help their donors manage uh, the donor making an advised gift to the charity. But I think what happens is a lot of charities, because they can't directly solicit, they can't send a proposal and then get money to come back, um, don't know what to do with donor advised funds. Um, and I think that's a, that's a big tragedy in the fundraising world. It is, and um, another tragedy is that donor-advised funds um, are, are not without their share of um, significant critics. And uh, the biggest crit criticism that I hear about donor-advised funds, um, I, I find uh, foolish, actually, and that is um, the timing. If, if a person creates a donor-advised fund, there's no there's no time limit on when they need to make a gift to another charitable organization they can they mm -hmm. can grow what is in their donor advised fund for an indefinite period of time before making uh grants the interesting thing is and we talked about the 5% requirement of private foundations the interesting thing is that last year um donor advised funds made grants of 22% of their assets, uh, which is uh, you're, a lot more than You're making such an five. important point. Exactly. So, you know, those who have that, that critique of donor-advised funds, you know, are just showing how uninformed they are about donor-advised funds um, because if – you then start imposing on donor-advised funds the same rules of private foundations for distributions, you would very likely see a reduction in advised gifts and you know whenever you set uh, you know what what looks like a a floor it becomes the ceiling 
Um, you know, and and so when you say a minimum of five percent, people hit at five percent. There's nothing that would prohibit private foundations from uh, giving ten, twenty, twenty-five percent, or matching the twenty-two percent of donor advised funds. They don't. Uh, because it's seen as proper and good management of a foundation to only use the 5%, which happens to be the required amount. Well, and one of the interesting trends that we've noted over the last, especially the last three years, is that a number of small um, private family foundations have decided that because of the um, the administrative work, the paperwork, um, and so forth, that they are, they're actually moving their assets from a private foundation into donor-advised funds because it, it frees up um, – um, well, first of all, it's less expensive to administer, um, and it frees them up to make decisions on, um, uh, a longer, for a longer period of time. So that's right. one well, of the we've trends seen we're that seeing here at CAF America, where uh, where you know foundations, you know, so because it, as you know, as you you and I have been around a while, you know, it was a little bit more in vogue, sort of in the 80s and 90s, to have your own private foundation. And I think what a lot of families and uh, high net worth individuals has found is that there's a lot of regulation, there's a lot of reporting, there's a lot of cost and sort of care and feeding of the foundation itself before you even get to the philanthropy. Uh, and what is terrific about donor advised funds and what I share with people um, is it, it's really like having a foundation, but you're sharing the expenses. So it's, it's sort of like having a shared expense suite where you're sharing the expenses with all of the other donor advised fund sort of, you know, sort of virtual foundations that are part of that group, whether it's Fidelity, Vanguard, CAF America, any of the, any of the groups, you're sort of sharing those expenses and you have experts available to assist you. So we've seen very rapid growth of donor advised funds. And the reason for that is that donors get it. Uh, there's nothing forcing donors to use donor advised funds, but what they realize in their own analysis is that they're an excellent way for them to reduce expenses and increase philanthropy. And the, the, one of the other nice things about donor advised funds, I'm a big advocate because I, looking at the numbers, donor advised funds last year provided at least 5% of the charitable giving total. And uh, it was probably – it could be as much as 7% of the charitable giving total. So it is not an insignificant number when we're talking about four, almost $480 billion that we expect this year. Um, the other thing I love about donor-advised funds is, is it, it's bringing us new donors. It's bringing us donors right. who – didn't want to do a private family foundation. It, uh, they, this is giving them a new option, so it's bringing us new donors. There's some other trends, Ted, that that um, um, we continue to we, – we like to say we're keeping our finger on the pulse of American philanthropy, and so some of these trends are long-term trends. One is that church giving is – it, while it's not declining, it is not growing at the same rate as other sectors. And the reason for that, of course, is that uh, fewer and fewer Americans are identifying themselves as members of churches. Um, their church attendance has taken a hit. And so this is a trend that we see continuing 
we don't know when church giving and don't have a proje- projection on when church giving might go negative. Right now, church giving is, and I want to make this clear, it's still growing. It's just not grow. It's not growing at the same rate as other sectors. It's significant. In fact, it's less than half of the uh, growth of our um, most popular sector this year, which is the environment sector. Is part of that also uh, that there are just more philanthropic options? Uh, so those who want to do good, would wind this back 20, 30, and I know you've looked at 60-plus years of data, but wind this back several decades. Uh, and if you wanted to do good, uh, one of the very few places that you actually could find good being done in an organized way would be with churches. Um, that's certainly not the case in America now, and there are a lot more options for those who want to do good to do it directly in their communities in very organized ways. Is that part of the reason, in addition to some of the cultural changes in uh, the amount of time that people develop uh, for churches? Well, it absolutely is, and it falls into another trend, which is um, I'm going to – and this mostly affects millennials, but it also affects – people, baby boomers like you and I and Generation X people. And that is, um, well, first of all, the number of charities is growing at an amazing rate. Um, Over the last 12 years, we had 50% more nonprofits in America, um, which is huge. Now, not all of them are going to make it. Many are small. Many won't make it. But out of those, are coming some very significant new charities that are making a difference. Um, Millennials, in particular, are looking, instead of looking at giving by brand, um, and I'm, you know, you can mention the names of the old brands of uh, big nationwide charitable organizations, they're more interested in accountability. And um, so if I give my money to this niche charity that is focused on one particular problem, are they measuring their results and can they give me some accountability that my money actually did something? Um, That's difficult to do in churches. It's difficult to do in many large nationwide brand name old charities. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're looking for that accountability uh, they're moving away from the old brands, and uh, so that's that is a part of what's going on here. That's well, a part and I, and of I the think trend. part of the yeah, I really I I see that as well, and I think part of the perhaps not so rosy news for the established big brands is that they are established big brands, uh, and one of the things that that we're seeing here at Calf America with our tremendous growth here. As a donor advised funds, is our expertise is in the international and supporting international charities. And oftentimes, what we're hearing from donors is, you know, in the past they may have given to a big, you know, international NGO or um, you know, a, a large national uh, charity, uh, in hopes that their work will then somehow support something in a small community elsewhere in the world. And what a lot of American donors uh, want is they want that money to go directly to that charity in that country and not filter through a large bureaucracy. 
Uh, and and that's that's a big trend that that we're seeing. And I think that that mirrors a lot of the trends that you're seeing is that weather impact can be measured directly, and there's lots of models and lots of questions about that. It's undeniable that American philanthropists want higher high touch, um, and they certainly want to know that their money made a difference. Well, one example I would give you is that for for the millennial generation, um, workplace they're not big on workplace giving. In fact, they're giving less at the workplace than any other generation has. But all the evidence that we have supports the fact that they are giving more outside the workplace than any other generation their age. So in much that, in higher, more personal ways. In more personal ways, and a lot of it is being driven by tech. We've got some amazing technology, as you well know. You you feature technology experts on your show. Um, you know, when when I started as a practitioner, if I made a donor call, I had to write I had to write down the results of a donor call on an index card. Um, now we've got these amazing donor relation systems to keep track of uh, of um, what contacts we have with our donors, and that includes not just personal contacts with phone calls and visits, but whatever mail they receive, whatever newsletters they receive, that's been amazing. Crowdfunding is changing things. Um, but it's just so easy. You can you can touch a you can touch an app on your phone, and with just a few other touches, um, you you can make a difference in a niche organization. And we've got uh, you know we've got. Fundly and GoFundMe and Razoo and and other uh, um, uh, charitable focused and even Kickstarter um, charitably focused technology that is making an amazing difference and I, I couldn't help but think uh, as I was listening to the promo for next week's show um, online you know bringing your your auction for your event online. That is making it a huge difference as well. So we've right. we've got this technology that is making fundraising, whether you're at a whether you're at a church, a small charity, a, a large old established brand charity, um, charitable giving is becoming more uh, it's becoming more effective and it's becoming more efficient. As a result of well, technology. Well, also more personalized, which is why I think our show last week just really seemed to strike a chord for a lot of our listeners is, you know, this this message of personalized philanthropy um, is is one that uh, resonates with donors today. I think, it, I think it always has, but I think the point that you're making is that we most definitely have more technology now to make it a reality for a larger number of people because, you know, as, as I've always pointed out, is, you know, in philanthropy, um, the most successful philanthropy has always been personalized. It's always been face-to-face and and customized to uh, the donors. But there's a, there's a, a limited uh, capacity that that uh, we had as fundraisers to be able to broad-base that kind of personalized approach. Well, now technology allows us to broad-base that same kind of personal approach. Now, Rob, we're going to take um, just a real quick break. 
Uh, when we come back in the final 15 minutes that we'll have of the show, I know time goes by so fast when you're here, um, what I'd like to do is ask you to give uh, some tips to um, you know, beyond this uh, uh, holiday season, which of course is an important time, what should our listeners be doing to prepare their budgets, to look forward to 2016, um, and what are those strategies beyond the, the ones that we've talked about today that are going to spell the difference for 2016? And we'll be right back after this quick break. Life gets busy. Wouldn't it be nice to have a central place where you could save what's on your mind? With Google Keep, you can stay on top of your world by quickly and easily organizing everything you want to remember. No matter where you are, finalize door list for Thursday's gig. So when you find inspiration, you can file away your ideas. And Google Keep stores them safely across all your devices. And when the time comes, you'll have everything covered. Save what's on your mind. Google Keep. Just a a few program notes, as you heard uh, at the top of the show today. Uh, Kathy Kingston is our guest here on the Nonprofit Coach next week. Uh, Don't miss uh, that opportunity. Uh, And then at the end of the month, I just want to make another uh, note for you that we will be live at the BBCon conference, live from the conference floor. Uh, That's going to be 2 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Central, live from Austin, Texas, uh, as we always are each year at the Big Black Bod Conference. So mark that on October 26th at 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Looking forward to being back at BBCon. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And uh, we actually uh, do have a question for Rob before we get into sort of that uh, 2016 uh, looking uh, looking ahead. Um, and uh, uh, that question is, um, how do the presidential election years affect charitable giving? Uh, is that something that has any meaning at all? It does. Um, charitable giving is all about disposable income. And when money is diverted for whatever reason, for higher interest rates, so you're paying more on your mortgage, or um, you're paying more for gasoline, or you're paying more in taxes, those things affect charitable giving. And so for individual givers, um, they are diverting some of their disposable income to political campaigns, especially in presidential election years. Uh, We notice more of a difference in presidential election years. Does that mean that charitable giving is going to take a big hit? No, not necessarily. In fact, um, you know, we're we're showing some, you know, for the next 12 months, which would take us almost to the presidential election, we're forecasting that giving will be up 5%. 
Um, that, of course, could change. But, um, yes, presidential election years especially do affect charitable giving. Great question. So that's one thing looking into the budget cycle, so looking beyond the holiday fundraising cycle that uh, you know, most nonprofit uh, listeners today are uh, looking at. They're also looking at the 2016 budget cycle. So uh, one of those things to definitely take into account from, from looking at your data uh, is the fact that we are going to be fundraising in a uh, uh, presidential uh, uh, election year. What are the other things that you have suggestions for our listeners today when they look at building their budget for 2016? Well, as a person who built a lot of budgets, um, I watched how budgets were built before we had Atlas of Giving technology. And typically it was, as you mentioned early in the show, sticking a wet – sometimes it's sticking a wet finger in the air and and just coming up with a number. You know, we, we're we going to base our budget um, for income growth on a, on a number that you just pull out of the air. Um for others, it's a you know for nationwide organization or a local organization, it's asking the fundraising staff what they think they're going to be able to do that year. Um, uh, neither of which is very effective um, because you can you can be as optimistic as you want to, but if if the economic winds aren't blowing in your direction, you're not going there. So. What I like to tell people is that what we've got with the Atlas of Giving is we've got a reliable forecast. So take a look at, depending on when your fiscal year starts, take a look at what the Atlas is projecting for the next 12 months. Uh, apply that to your um, uh, your revenue, your charitable giving revenue line for your budget, and then check in every month because things happen. And the best example I can give you is 2001. 2001 was shaping up to be a pretty good charitable giving year. And one event changed things very significantly, and that was 9-11. So what we now know, having looked back at the data, is that as non-disaster charitable giving pretty much dried up for six months before it be, before it came roaring back. Um, if you were a disaster related charity, you had you had a great year because uh, people were wanting to help in any way that they could. And so events make a difference. Um, uh, one current example I can give you is the is the price of oil. And anybody who's been to the gas pump this week has noticed that uh, even gas prices are dropping, which means that um, there's more, there is more discretionary money out there for individuals and companies to give. Um, the problem is that if you're if you're living in an area that has been directly impacted, if your charity is in an in an area that's been directly impacted, say Houston, Texas, where literally hundreds of thousands of people have lost have lost work, um, low, low, these low oil prices are going to have a negative effect on you. So um, it it 
overall for for United States giving, low oil prices are great for are going to be great for giving. But if if you if you're in the wrong place, um, things are not going to look so good. And that's why and, we and like of course, to say, you know, those kind of expenses also affect your expense budget. And as I always, you know, remind people that you know there are there are two sides to a budget. There's the income, uh, which of course fundraisers are you know always trying to help uh, increase the the income side. But efficiencies in the work that you do and the savings that you can find um, in your in the work that you do also contributes to the bottom line. And that's where the use of good data um, helps you be more efficient in targeting the work that you do than sort of, you know, sort of the, the age-old shotgun approach. Let's just try everything and hope enough comes in. Great point. And um, I, I think that there are some things – well, let me get back to the budget question. So I, I think you look at the Atlas number, you set your budget, and, and something nonprofits are not used to doing is adjusting their budget as they go through their fiscal year. What the Atlas enables you to do is look at the change in the forecast each month so that if if you see trouble on the horizon or, on the other hand, an opportunity on the horizon, you can change your budget accordingly to either take advantage of the opportunity or not get yourself caught in in a problem because your your income budget is was too high initially and that's why we what? we update our forecast each month Right, and you do, and you provide data on a regular basis. But what you're talking about is also having leadership understand that, you know, in 2015, 2016, we we really are in a much more uh, flexible, uh, volatile period of time that data really can make the difference. And where most organizations would set a budget once a year, um, measure against it, but they don't really think in terms of modulating that, that budget. What you're saying is the data suggests that you really can do that in a smart way um, and uh, position your organization for longer-term growth than just sort of checking in once a year. Yes, you've, you've, you've got to learn to be nimble enough to change on the fly as events change. And it, 9-11, again, is a great example. Um, the Haitian earthquake was another good example. Um uh, the BP Gulf oil spill, another great example. Things happen, and it changes the forecast, and uh, some of it is regional, some of it is national. But but that's why we exist, and that's why we like to say we're keeping our finger on the pulse of American philanthropy. Um, exactly. We've got a, now, we I understand an, that you, you have a, a free gift for charities and churches uh, during October, I want to make sure that we have uh, a few minutes left here on the show for you to, to share what that might be. Right. If you go to uh, atlasofgiving.com, um, we have a product that is called the Custom Express Forecast. Now, um, what you what this is is you answer six relatively easy questions about what you raised last fiscal year, where your money comes from in terms of individuals, foundations, bequests, and so forth, what sector you're in, and what geography you're in. And 
you enter that information. Uh, this is something that we normally ch charge $200 for. And um, you're able to log back in every month for an update on what that forecast is for your organization. Um, for larger organizations, uh, we do we have a more advanced product that we're not giving away in October, but we will actually look at what fact what economic demographic and event factors um, uh, drive your giving and build you a custom algorithm. Uh, that will be very reliable in terms of benchmarking and forecasting. But this month, October, uh, any any nonprofit or church that goes to our website, even though it says it's going to invoice you for $200, you will not be invoiced. You will have a your own custom forecast, and you're able to look at an update uh, every month for for the next 12 months. Well, that's very generous of you, and thank you very much for sharing that with our listeners today. And certainly, we encourage uh, those who are, you know, looking for this kind of data to help inform uh, your 2016 planning. This is this is a great uh, way uh, to do that. We only have a couple minutes left, uh, Rob. I want to give you the the last word, the opportunity to. Uh, point us in the right direction. And the question that I have is you've mentioned specifically things that are going to happen with foundations and individuals. You've not mentioned corporations. Uh, cor corporate giving is in decline. Um, it's Corporations are, uh, I, think, I think a lot of people are aware that um, there aren't a lot of places to put money that it can be used effectively. Interest rates are at historic lows. Um, and corporate giving, corporations are being stingy with their giving. So um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give up on corporations, especially those corporations you have a great relationship with, who have been supportive year after year. Uh, certainly maintain those relationships. But in terms of prospecting for new corporate gifts, uh, now is not the best time, and we don't think that 2016 what is your for corporates. What's your, your uh, forecast? You said foundations are going to grow 5%. Um, what are corporations going to be doing? The forecast for corporate giving is um, um, for the next for the next 12 months is that corporate giving will only grow at a rate of 2.3%. Two point three percent. How about individuals? So you said five percent for foundations, two point three percent for corporate giving, and what will individuals be doing in the next uh, next twelve months? The individual giving will be uh, two point a growth of two point eight percent in the next twelve months. Mm -hmm. so, the, so the real news here in terms of new money on the table is foundations, seconded by uh, individuals and in bringing up the rear of corporations. Yeah, and you have to remember, of course, that 74% of all giving is um, provided by individual donors. And now, right. as I said before, is a terrific time to reconnect with lapsed donors and uh, the donors that have stayed with you through hard times. 
And to bring it back to something we both advised early on, ask them if they have a donor advised fund and be prepared to help inspire them to advise a gift to your organization via that uh, that donor advised fund. The good news there is the money's already given. It's much easier for them to advise it to you. This has been uh, Rob Mitchell from the Atlas of Giving back here on The Nonprofit Coach. Rob, you've done a wonderful job as always. I hope you'll come back as you regularly do and bring us up to date on what's happening in data, what's happening in measuring and analysis and forecasts of the philanthropic sector here in the United States. Thank you, Rob, for being our guest here on The Nonprofit Coach. It's been my great pleasure, Ted. Thank you for asking me. You've been listening to The Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to The Nonprofit Coach.